This is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira. It's hot, hot. I'm sitting in my office, and I've got the window partly closed because I need some air in this place. Um, you may hear some sounds of a tractor in the background, but we'll just call that an authentic country sound. Uh, my neighbor Clifton is out there. I have a big hay field, an alfalfa and grass field in the front of my office. It's owned by Manny. Um, he also owns a hay in it. And Clifton Buckner's on his tractor. He's rolling this hay. He mows it, and then he rakes it, and then he rolls it. And it's good hay, clover, red clover, white clover, and uh, good grass. Cows love it. And when Clifton's done rolling this hay, he'll come by and probably sit down and have a cup of coffee, and we'll talk about how many rolls he's got, whether it's been a good harvest. And uh, it looks pretty good. We've had a lot of water, a lot of sun. I'm sitting here on my desk, and I'm looking at an old half-gallon milk bottle, one of those round ones. You don't see them much anymore. On the front of it, it says, Our Motto Quality. And that's written over uh, the profile of a Guernsey cow. Below that says Fresno, California. On the sides, it says, one side, a delicious drink. On the other side, a nutritious food. The bottom, City Edge Guernsey Farm, Church and Elm Avenues. And uh, my dad designed this. That shows you he's, he was a pretty clever artist. On the back, it has a picture of Fresno, California. You can see we had a skyscraper. It says, fresh from farm to you. And on the bottom is a picture fairly long of the hay barn, milk barn, and of the old house we lived in. I think I'm going to tell you today about this dairy and some of the things that happened there. I want to thank our sponsor, Anashira. It would be really fine if you'd go to our website, anashira.com, and buy a bar of my Fields of Provence soap. Enter promo code STORIES15 for a 15% discount. It may cause you to think of the fields of alfalfa that I'm going to tell you about right now. I grew up on a dairy farm. It was founded by my grandpa. My dad worked on it. Actually, he ran it. He went to UC Davis, went to the ag school, came back and took over the dairy. My grandpa was uh, in the process of going legally blind, so he was very lucky to have my father there. This dairy was on the outskirts of Fresno, which was a bustling small city at the time. It was south of town. It was 50 acres of land. Now, this never was really valuable land because it happened to be on the wrong side of town. You remember those fig gardens north of town that I told you back some time ago? That's where people wanted to live, and that's where they still want to live today. Nobody's building houses in the south. So my dad and his dad had only Guernsey cows, and the city was on the edge of town. So naturally, because we are so creative at naming things in this family, it was called City Edge Guernsey Farm. 
To get the big picture, these 50 acres were bordered by two roads, Church Avenue and Elm Avenue. Now, Elm was also called Highway 41. It was a major artery between Yosemite in the north, passed down through Fresno, a bunch of other towns, headed then off to the southwest and ended up in Morro Bay on the Pacific Ocean. Now, although it was a dairy, we always called it the ranch. We never called it the farm, very seldom the dairy. My dad milked between 50 and 100 cows, and these, not unlike goats, need to be milked twice a day. So when you think of dairy, think twice a day, every day. So let's talk about some of the people who helped make this happen. There was my dad. He did everything. He had a guy he hired. This was a man named Anton Pelinges. He was a mountain of a man. And uh, when I say that, I mean a mountain of a man, a big, strong man. He was from Latvia. At the end of World War II, if you remember, Russia annexed the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and uh, they'd been run by the Germans. It was terrible in those times during World War II, and it got even worse when the Russians took over. So Anton left with his family and uh, immigrated to the United States and ended up in Central California. And thank God he ended up here because he found my dad and he founded him and hired him to come to work as really a guy who did everything. He did everything, strong as an ox, never complained, always in good spirits. He could lift anything. He put two hooks in a bale of hay. Say that's a hundred pound bale. He could throw that thing up on a stack. You'd never see him break a sweat. Well, you would see him break a sweat, but you'd never see him act like he was overworking. He could pick up a hundred pound calf, carry that thing around. Now, it's fortunate that he could throw that hay, those hay bales around because we had a huge hay barn. Trucks would come in filled with hay, baled hay. Each bale had to be thrown off, thrown up on the stack. There were thousands of these bales. It was the base of the cow's feet in the wintertime. So Anton lived with his family not too far down on Elm Avenue in a big tank house, had some living quarters had no telephone, so if we wanted to get a hold of him, we had to, someone had to drive over there and bang on his door. Anton didn't speak English very well. He couldn't pronounce my name, couldn't say Ernie. He said, Yaney, Yaney. I'll never forget. We'd always, I'd always be Yaney to him. And then we had milkers. Now, this was the worst job. They milked twice a day, they milked at 2 a.m. and 2 p.m. I don't know why those ungodly hours. And they had to get there an hour before to set it up and had to get the cows all lined up, get the equipment set up, get them in the barn. I suppose their work shifts were five or six hours twice a day. Their days off were, well, they didn't have a whole lot of days off because when they had a day off, my dad had to go out himself and milk. Now, he had some substitute milkers, but they were less dependable than regular milkers. He went through a lot of milkers, finally, and, you know, they wouldn't show up. They'd get a day off. They'd go out and get drunk. They'd get drunk when they didn't have a day off. Finally, Pa got two excellent milkers, Fritz and Elsa. 
married couple, also from Latvia. Thank God for Latvia. Fritz and Elsa had a house on the farm they lived in, didn't have to pay for, and they didn't have a lot of expenses, and they loved to work. They didn't seem to need much time off. They had a brand new car. I remember that. Kept it in one of our uh, old garages there. Our old car, our own car stayed outside, but Fritz and Elsa's brand new car, covered with a tarp, stayed in this garage. You know what? No one ever saw that car being driven. It stayed there like forever. Now, my dad sold a portion of the milk to the general public right out of the dairy, right out of the milk barn. People would drive over from town and uh, they'd get the milk in glass bottles like the one I told you about. My dad hired a couple college kids to help us part-time. Their names were Les and Lee Wepler. Knew them for a number of years. And the last character in this world is one of the most important, my Uncle Les. He was my mother's younger brother, much younger. He was closer in age to me and my sister Beverly than he was to my mom. Now, he worked and lived with us summers. I guess he said he was there seven or eight years. He started in high school, and he worked his way through college on the dairy. I don't remember a summer on the ranch when Les wasn't around. He lived with us, slept on the screened-in back porch of the old wooden house that we lived in. He, was, uh, he really was a member of the family. So let's get an idea of the physical layout of this place. As I said, 50 acres, about 60% of that was in fields, fields of alfalfa. And this alfalfa would be mowed and fed green in troughs to the cows. About 30% of the land was taken up with pens and corrals for uh, these cows and the calves and two bulls that my dad had. And it had a big covered hay barn that I told you about, had an enclosed milking barn connected to a processing facility. It had a big shop building to house two tractors and other farm equipment that my dad had. He always seemed to be fixing something in there. He had welder and any he could do anything you ever needed to do mechanically. My dad could. Uh, there was a house and a yard for the milkers. There was a house where my grandpa and grandma lived. There was uh, an open garage in front of the front of our house. And uh, we had a big hen house for chickens and eggs. Always had fresh eggs. And uh, for all of us who lived there, this felt like a small, self-contained world. Because we were there almost seven days a week, except when we went to school and went to church. So picture in your mind this place is like a factory. You input raw materials, feed, for the cows, etc. Human labor, use of various technology, animals doing what they're bred to do, and the output is milk, dairy products. Pretty simple. So at a high level, what we'd do every day, we'd feed the cows, they'd a lot of green alfalfa, or a lot of hay in the wintertime, and grain, 
they'd be fed uh, various mixes of cattle feed. And then you milk the cows. Then you cool the milk. You homogenize it or you don't. And you sell part of the milk to the public who'd come buy it right there. And my dad would sell most of it uh, in five-gallon milk cans to Danish cre- the Danish Creamery. It's a big outfit in those days. Bought a lot of milk from dairies. Dairies at that time were nowhere near as big as they are today when they have thousands and thousands of cows. Factories, really. So these cows would produce milk. And if they couldn't produce milk, sometimes they were dry. Some heifers never give milk. Uh, One of two things happened. Either they were slaughtered and then butchered and ended up in our freezer. Excellent, tender, flavorful beef. Man, good stuff. Or they'd be driven to an auction in a town called Visalia, about 30 miles away. I think I told you in an earlier episode how practical my dad was. So my dad, and I called him mostly Pa or Pop, Pa would get a couple of cows that had to go to the auction, and he'd make it an excursion. It was like a holiday for us. Why waste the gas and just drive down with the cows? He'd built a metal frame over the bed of a 1949 Chevy pickup that he had. It was three speed, three on the tree. You may remember that. No air conditioning. It had a vent on the floor. If it got hot, you pulled that lever and hot air would flow in on you. And it had wind wings. Remember wind wings? God's great invention. Open those things and you'd really get air. So my mom would pack up a picnic lunch. Les and Paul would load up the cows and we'd pack up. Now I had three sisters. Marilyn and Diane were pretty young. They'd get inside the pickup and sit between Paul and my mom. My older sister Beverly, Uncle Les and I would sit in the back of the pickup. Man, I was so happy to be back there in the back of the pickup. Uncle Les never yelled at me, never bossed me around, and even Beverly kept away from me when Uncle Les was in the middle of us. We really only had one rule in the back. Paul would stand next to us before leaving. He was a stickler for safety. One thing, you kids, no standing up, no getting up. So we were sitting on blankets on the bed of a pickup Secured by uh, nothing. Well, you know, that's how it was in the 50s. We just didn't worry about those things. So we're heading south on Highway 99, but it wasn't a freeway in those days. It really wasn't even much of a highway. You had signals in every small town you hit. Fowler, Selma, Kingsburg, Hanford. We didn't care. We were on an outing. But one thing was a problem. That trailer had transported a lot of cows to different places, and they had all relieved themselves on their journeys. So this cow manure had dried over time and been stepped on, and anyone who knows dry, stepped-on cow manure knows it eventually turns into a fine dust. So we're rolling down Highway 99 at 50 to 60 miles an hour, And the wind would catch these piles of manure dust and send clouds of it into the back of the pickup, 
wind would be swirling around into our eyes and our noses and our mouths, and we'd be sputtering and coughing and snorting, and Les would be yelling, Howard, slow this rig down. Howard, you're killing us back here. Howard, we're dying, Howard. Now, those of you listening who might have ever known my father know exactly what he was doing at this time. He was laughing. He was roaring with laughter, nearly hysterical. This was the best joke he'd heard in a long time. And Pa never took his foot off the gas pedal. So we finally got to the stockyard, unloaded the cattle. Then Pa drove us to a beautiful park in town. It was called Mooney's Grove. It had trees and grass and picnic tables and a lake. And we'd eat one of those fine picnic lunches that moms made in those days. Fried chicken, real fried chicken, potato salad, celery sticks, carrot sticks. And we'd drink ice cold Royal Crown Cola right out of the bottle. We didn't care about calories in those days. And Paul would rent a rowboat and Les would row us around the lake. And all this time, Les would be telling us stories and everybody would be laughing and we'd be happy and we'd just have a great time. And after a few hours, we'd pack up. Same seating arrangements, same trailer, but no cows to slow down the noxious dust. And we'd head north up Highway 99. So we'd get home, drop off the trailer, unload the cooler, and Mom would announce to all of us, including Uncle Les, you're all dirty. You're smelly. You all get in there and get in line for the bathtub. And we did. And we had a bath. And we used, well, we didn't have any Anashira soap in those days. We used ivory soap, the white bar. You remember the one? It floated. And we get out and we need to slather on lotion because our skin was so dry. Hey, we didn't know any better. Uh, can you believe it? We're out of time. You're going to have to wait until next week to hear the rest of the story of the City Edge Guernsey Farm. You may not have to get out of the back of a pickup truck, but you may be ready for a luxurious bath or shower. Try a bar of Anashira's Fields of Provence. The smell of lavender and rosemary and mint will carry you to a very wonderful place. I guarantee it. Thanks again, Anashira, for sponsoring this podcast. My thanks go out to all of you for listening. Join me next week for the next part of this story from Anashira.